Welcome to Off Book, a podcast from The Young Vic, where we have conversations with creatives who have recently inspired us with their work here. So it's fantastic to be joined by the Genesis Future Directors Award winner, Lucy J. Skilbeck. Lucy, uh, welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Um, I want to start with you right at the beginning then, growing up in Selby in Yorkshire. (laughs) Yes. Uh, See, I've done my research. You have. (laughs) What was that like for you? Well, it was brilliant. It was one of the best places to grow up. I actually live in between York and Selby mm. on a farm. And, yeah, grew up on a farm. My family run a milk round business. And, yeah, grew oh. up there. But I'm not detecting any <laughs> kind of links to the arts yet at this stage. And well, yeah, you say that. I was thinking about this when I came in, actually. I was like, when did it start? And I was thinking about cabaret. And usually you'd say, OK, it was 18. You know, I was moved to London and saw some cabaret. But... I actually think it was um, the music halls that my village used to run. So this is, um, yeah, in Yorkshire, my village would do these, yeah, music halls where, and I was in one when I was, I think I'd just turned five and I was dressed as a sailor um, and we were telling sailor jokes (laughs) and singing songs and uh, uh, members of the village would do acts, cabaret acts, and it would be songs or sketches. And I think that was a cabaret in its own way. It wasn't a cabaret in the kind of thing that you find in Vauxhall Tavern or The Glory, but it was a cabaret in its own right. And actually some of the these Chekhov plays are made for, to be little quick vaudeville pieces for villages and rural towns like the one that I grew up in and I only really made that connection this morning that actually my first cabaret was when I was little little but um, I then got into theatre more properly when I joined a youth theatre so I went to York Youth Theatre and it was just the best youth theatre and I learned there that you could have a career in theatre that was actually a thing that people did I learned what a theatre company was um, and then went to Central at 18, yeah. So what was it that attracted you to come to London then? Um, just the univers- just the opportunity to go to Central? Yeah, I think I wanted to do the course. Mm. Um, I really nearly went to Leeds and I, yeah, I almost went there and then I ended up going to London and I had never uh, lived there before mm. at all. Um, but one of the first things that we did with my course was get taken to the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, as a course. <laughs> and it really completely blew my mind. And I think lots of the things that I've been uh, feeling but not understanding in terms of gender or sexuality or just uh, that were like bubbling away kind of clicked into place. And I saw all of this performance and these dialogues that I had never entered my head mm. before. And the conversations that were being had, the people that were there, the queer identities, trans identities, all this big mismatch of people were suddenly in a bar in Vauxhall and I was there and um, and that kind of really formed everything that I think about today really, I think. We're jumping ahead of ourselves slightly yeah. because I want to know, what was that course that you did at, at Central? Um, it was uh, Drama, Applied Theatre and Education. And uh, how, how much did that set you back every year, do you remember? Well, I did it on um, student loan. Mm-hmm. Did it on a yeah, bursary and 
so I don't know, I think it was, I mean, we didn't pay full fee, I think it was like three grand something a year, um, which I probably will never pay back, I don't I don't think, uh, I think I'll just always have that debt, but it was completely worth it because it meant that I was exposed to all these new theories, new ways of thinking, people I've never met before, um, you know, the lecturers were brilliant and I completely threw myself into the course and founded Milk Presents, my company, my third year there. So the course was fundamental to everything that I have done since. And I suppose it's important not to paint Selby and, and Yorkshire as this kind of backwater area, because it, it isn't. But it must have been so refreshing and eye-opening for you to come to Central and to go to places like the Royal Vauxhall Tavern and to experience these different gender identities and this, and this queer way of being. How did that feel? Well, yeah, it was it was amazing. It was completely eye-opening. But I think that places like York uh, and Selby and Derby, where my company are based, are fluent in these um, languages as, as well. My uh, company, Milk Presents, are based at Derby and the work we make is uh, for the people of Derby and for... Um, you know, in inverted commas, regions outside of London. And I think that actually the audiences there are really open to everything that we're talking about and are really versed in it in ways that you maybe wouldn't expect. And, yeah, it was obviously brilliant going to London 18 and being kind of smashed in the <laughs> face of all these new thoughts. But that's not to say that everywhere outside of London doesn't have that. I think there's actually a really exciting and growing scene, um, you know, in cities all around the country. Like Manchester's got its own drag bar now. With Joan, my drag king show, we're taking that all over the place. And when I first came up with it, maybe people hadn't heard of drag kings as much, whereas now more and more people are talking about it, more and more people are doing it. And um, I think that we don't need to paint a regional... Uh, p places in this way that is like, oh, you know, London's completely where it's at because actually, you know, there are trans and queer people all over the country and uh, it's not, even though London is brilliant, it's not just in London. Well, absolutely, and I suppose the danger about London as well in terms of queer spaces mm -hmm. is that they are vanishing. If you look at the mm -hmm. danger that Royal Vauxhall Tavern is under mm -hmm. and the closure mm -hmm. of other places, the Black Cat, Madame Jojo's, um, mm -hmm. is that something that you're concerned about in terms of the work that you make and, and your general mm -hmm. ethos, that um, there is no platform really mm -hmm. or there are um, diminishing platforms for queer stories to be told? Well, we have to protect the queer venues that we have and um, anything that we can do to protect them is completely necessary because they're often the first points of call for people who, if you're questioning your gender or your sexuality or um, you are just interested in seeing this kind of work, they're your places that you go. And actually the people that you find in there will nine times out of ten be completely welcoming. And I know that uh, Bar Whatever was somewhere that I first went on a Tuesday at Vauxhall Tavern and that's a... Um, genderqueer night and it's so open and it's a really kind of way to get your foot into a world that can seem like it is very closed and it's closed because it feels like it has to be whereas it doesn't I think one of the things that I want to do with my work and I hope that I do do is take these ideas and themes and this work that you find in queer spaces but actually break it out of those so you know uh dialogue that you have 
in a pub somewhere, actually we'll take that and we'll um, run with it in a theatre context and that the work we make is for, definitely for queer audiences, but also for people who aren't queer, who've never encountered any of this work before. So partly um, I'm always completely fighting for these queer spaces to exist, but I'm also breaking down the walls of it only happening in very unified places. And actually I hope to make theatre or make work that can bridge many spaces and actually Joan my drag king show happens in schools uh, in pubs in community centres and in theatres um, and I think that's one of its most kind of disarming and charming features is that it's really easy really low-key but still taps into everything that you would experience on a night out in, <laughs> in you know at the glory so and just to play devil's advocate for a moment what would you say to the more radical or extreme queers who say that that is assimilationist what you've just um, proposed mm-hmm. that actually queer performance queer art should be for the queer community first and foremost well yeah i i hear that i'm not uh, disputing that so much but i think that um there is a tendency to cling so hard to uh identity of like this is what i am and which i completely I completely understand, but at the same time, we have to share these ideas and there's something actually incredibly political about queerness. So, for example, queerness is not just about sexuality. If you uh, break down gender, how can McDonald's sell his and hers Happy Meals? Well, they can't because there is no such thing as that. How can you sell his and hers towels? Actually, gender and uh, politics and queerness underpins every little aspect of our lives more than just queer spaces. So yes, of course, the queer community want to make queer performance for ourselves and you want to be in a space that is like, this is ours and this is who we are. But it goes beyond that. It's not just about queer performance. It's about politics. It's about the economy. It's about how we think in a certain way that is black or white or one thing or the other and actually... Queer languages are so much more than what my identity is. It's a very political thing that goes beyond mm. one person's identity and actually has huge potential. And in terms of the people listening to this podcast who may assume that the term queer or the word queer is negative and uh, you know uh, link it with homophobia mm-hmm. or, or the rest of it, what is your definition of queer? What, de- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what a deep question, but what does queer actually mean? Well, for me, queer is about pluralising everything. So queer was a term um, that was an insult and then it was reclaimed by the LGBTQ community. And it's like, if you call me queer, then you are insulting me. But say I wear a T-shirt with the word queer on, you're not insulting me, you're just calling me what I am. I've got it on my T-shirt, mate, so you can't hurt me. Um, And then in around the 90s, people took that term and started using it in many different ways. And one of those is about um, blurring boundaries of words or blurring boundaries of identities. So for example, um, I might define one day as femme, and actually I'll feel much more female and I will define in that way. Other times I will define so much more as masculine and I will present in that way and I will use he pronouns 
and that's who I am. And then other days I'll be much more non-binary, so I'll be somewhere in the middle. And I think if you imagine that male is on one side, female is on another side, maybe in inverted commas, gay is behind me and straight is in front, queer is this big, messy, brilliant, muddy, sequined bit in the middle that says, you know what, it, it doesn't matter, I can be anything that I want to be and that's really exciting and I think that in terms of gender, that's definitely how I would um, define it. But also, I would say it is a um, positionality, so it changes. So that may be how I define it, but tomorrow someone else might define it, it, it differently because it moves and it shifts. So if the uh, gay community want gay marriage, controversially, the queer community might say, or, the, or, or a queer way of thinking might be, why would we want to assimilate mm -hmm. into a patriarchal system? Uh, why wouldn't we, you know, find our own ways of doing it or find a new way of doing it? I'm not saying one or the other. I'm just sort of explaining that queerness will shift in, in opposition to what is considered the norm and keep fighting for um, pluralizing I think in terms of gender or sexuality but that is the way I see it I don't necessarily think that's the way everybody views it well there's so many different queer schools of thought yeah. I suppose which mm -hmm. makes it so yeah. hard to grab hold of but, but that's its best thing about exactly. it <laughs> and where were you and how old were you when you discovered or decided that these ideas and these thoughts that you had had a label and that label was queerness or queer oh mate that's a really tough <laughs> one um, was it that cabaret show you did as a five-year-old sailor <laughs> I, I wish I think if I'd worked out sooner it might have been a bit easier I was really old like I mean I'm like 28 now so not that old <laughs> but um I think I'd always always known but um it's quite a hard thing to define or to come to terms with I think especially around gender um I don't know, I think it's really hard to answer because, you know, you can have different relationships with people and you think, you know, okay, I'm gay, this is the thing, this is the thing that I am. Okay, and then you feel settled and then you're like, no, it's not that. And then you're like, well, maybe maybe I'm trans or maybe I'm non-binary or and actually none of these labels will fit and you can keep striving or tweaking your identity to try and find a, a mold that suits and actually that is completely flawed I've come to realize of late and you you can't do that because it gender and identity are not set things mm. um, and therefore you can be completely fluid within them and on a day-to-day -day basis I will change who I love and how I wish to be uh, referred to or how I wish to present. And I think coming to terms with that is something that I'm still kind of doing, but that is what underpins the work that I make and why I do what I do. Um, if I completely understood it, then I probably wouldn't make any <laughs> anything worth making. And to me, my own queer identity mm. is a politicisation of my sexuality. Mm. Do you think that queerness is owned by the left or, or is intrinsically a left-wing issue or is it not, 
linked at all to this kind of left-wing binary within politics? I think one of the best things about queerness is that it's not just linked to mainstream politics. I don't think you can define it in that way. Um, I think you can have someone who is entirely right-wing and they still might uh, define as queer. I guess if you think of queer in terms of a breaking down of gender, then actually your political ideology can be anything <laughs> and can change. Um, I mean, I guess it's an inherently maybe more liberal, but then if you think of work uh, like Scotty makes it, um, putting words in your mouth, that was exploring really right-wing politics with LGBTQ people. And there's a tendency to link LGBTQ with the left when actually um, that's not necessarily the yeah. case. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're also seeing uh, right-wing politicians claiming to be allies of the LGBTQ mm -hmm. community in order to be more Islamophobic, I suppose, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, just as one example. But we've, got, we've got, gone ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I want to ask you about Milk Presents. Oh, yeah. Was that uh, a com your company? Did mm -hmm. you form that at Central School of Speech and Drama? Where, did, where was Milk Presents born? <laughs> yeah, so, well, Milk Presents is named after my family's milk round business. Oh, of course. <laughs> so that's kind of where that came from. And then in the final year of university, uh, we did this thing called a final year project and I worked um, with two people on that and we made um, this little uh, show, me and uh, Mishka Weinreb and um, Emma Hanlon, we made this um, piece that was a querying of uh, Merchant of Venice. And then um, with that, I kind of took it and remade it and um, built on it and I just put a call out and I was like okay I've booked this into Leeds Emerge Festival and Buxton Fringe and Camden Fringe and I booked it in before I'd actually like really done anything with it and then I put this call out and was like hey I'll play your travel and accommodation who wants to come this come and do this but the travel was like us all packing into a car and the accommodation was camping for like two pound per person per night and I'd cleaned the University of York Halls to try and get some money to like make it happen. It was just one of them, but we did. And um, and then after that, we got an associateship at the Point Theatre in Eastleigh. And I said to the people who were there, um, okay, right, who's coming to Eastleigh? Um, and Ruby Glaskin and Adam Robertson were like, yeah, we're coming. And and that's kind of how it happened. And so we that was in 2010. And so we've been making work uh, ever since. And what's yeah. the split within Milk Presents? What's your role within the company? Uh, well, I write write the shows and uh, direct them and write the songs, but actually it's completely collaborative. So um, Ruby and Adam will entirely feed in onto every part of the process, but ultimately it's on my shoulders. Ruby Gluskin is the producer. Uh, I will feed in with helping with some of that work, but ultimately that's on her shoulders. Adam is a performer and production manager. Again, we'll both feed in, but ultimately that rests on his shoulders. So we're very, very collaborative, and actually the people that we work with, we will collaborate with them very much so, but it's sort of where the responsibility lies is what our role is. And does the company self-define as a queer theatre company, or...? Are the yeah. within it queer? Um, yeah, I would say that we define it as a queer theatre company. It's weird when you put a label <laughs> on it like that. But yeah, yeah, totally. And I bet your folks, when they heard that your company was called Milk Presents, that was a nice sort of... Yeah, they liked it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
What about uh, Joan, which I saw at mm -hmm. uh, the Edinburgh Fringe this year? Congratulations on all the uh, awards you won for that. It was a really fantastic uh, show. Can you just tell us a little bit about the premise of that show and why you chose to, to mm. make that and what you were trying to tell to an audience? Yeah, well, I think I was looking through history to try and find some, I don't know, queer people. <laughs> like, I kind of got really into it. Just trying to see who came before. Because if you imagine that, you know, maybe you might get on with someone from history or an artist, say, better than you get on with someone that you live near. You know, like, these people aren't different from us. They were still um, questioning and thinking and pushing forward their own times. And actually, when you think about time like that, it's very near. Our, our history is very recent and these ideas are very recent. Anyway, I was looking through um, history to try and find queerness or gender queerness or trying to place things that were in a big mush in my head into perspective and one of the most famous queer examples is Joan of Arc uh, because she uh, I liked her because she wore men's clothing I liked her because she came from a tiny village in Dom Remy uh, her dad was a tenant farmer my dad's a tenant oh farmer I, was just, Joan of Arc? I know maybe maybe I'm reincarnated um uh, no, I kind of like found this person. I'm just like got really into it. And then um, it just made complete sense to find a drag king to perform the part of Joan because uh, she was actually burnt at the stake for wearing women's clothing uh, rather than heresy, as everyone thinks, because they put her out there to burn and they said look look you, we won't kill you if you just stop wearing men's clothing say that you made up all these voices and don't wear any men's clothing and we won't kill you and she's like okay okay and she she doesn't do it she chooses to put the clothes back on and whether that is for political reasons or whether that's to do with identity I mean I don't know I, I yeah I'm not sure but I think the fact that she chose to do it in a time when it was absolutely not okay to do that, um, knowing that she would be put to death if she put them on, um, which obviously she was. And so having a drag king perform that role was entirely the way to go and it sort of just clicked into place. And then I tried to commission three writers to <laughs> write the show for me. Um, I was working at Derby Theatre and the BBC Performing Arts Fellowship there and we had a pot of money from them and we approached different writers and said, can you write this? And the first one would be like, can you write this? It's, about, it's a drag king show about Joan of Arc. And the second one I was like, can you write this? It's a drag king show about Joan of Arc and this is how it starts and this is how it ends. And by the end I'm like, it's a drag king show about Joan of Arc and this is what it's going to... And then in the end Sarah was like, just write it. And I'm like, I am a proper director. I am not going to write my own play. <laughs> and then I just wrote it. <laughs> and that was definitely the way to go. Um, and you brought in contemporary men into the play, didn't you? So there were the, there's these, these male characters mm -hmm. who are sort of men from your life, aren't yeah, they? Well, they're from the Joan of Arc story, okay. but we just camped them out a bit mm -hmm. or we quid them in whatever we want. But no, they're, they're people from the story that we thought, how do we bring these men into the room? And uh, Lucy Jane Parkinson is drag king Louis Cipher, uh, who's just a phenomenal performer and comes from Yorkshire as well. <laughs> so it's like uh, France versus Sheffield Drag <laughs> Club, but in like the best best way. And I think that's why the show um, works so well in in 
yeah, regional venues around the country. And I mean, obviously, it, yeah, it, it lands in London as well and it, it works here. But the most interesting conversations that we have are when we take the show and we put it in a pub in this place or a school here. And um, that that's kind of why we... Well, you must have been delighted with the response it received in Edinburgh. And I'm curious yeah. as to, um, are there any different responses it gets wherever it is in the country? Are there certain places where it kind of lands better or, or not? Well, I think it will always land in Derby because we made it in Derby <laughs> and we made it for the people in Derby. Mm. Ultimately, when you're in a place and you make work, it kind of soaks in um, and we're associates there. And so I think the place sort of soaks into us and then we make the work there. Um, and we ended up having this amazing post-show discussion in the car park because people were just hanging around afterwards. And so I think uh, the show will always work well in Derby and we've done it in pubs there and we've done it at theatre there. Um, but generally, because of the nature of it, it's very flexible shows. So... Um, there is most definitely a very um, sort of collated... There's a very definitely a script that is very written and actually some of the improv bits are still written. Mm -hmm. But within that, I have to totally trust Lucy and her skill as a drag king to make the show unique. Well, Lucy picked me out. Yeah. <laughs> Lucy called me an archetypal <laughs> hackney boy or something like that. I don't know exactly what the... the that sounds about was. right. <laughs> um yeah, so, it, yeah, so it should be flexible to each space. Mm. So um, it because it is rooted within Drag King Cabaret, um, whatever that might mean, I don't necessarily mean one gender to another. I mean mm. that in a Drag King Cabaret in a much more plural way, but maybe that's mm. a conversation for another time, well, but well, I, I think it should. Yeah. Actually, because for anyone that's listening that's not aware of um, the concept of drag kings, is that as uh, established as drag queens in our history and in our culture? Well, yeah, drag kings have... Been around for hundreds of years, um, believe it or not. Um, you've got drag kings such as uh, Ella Shields, Hetty King, and they actually kind of took uh, the practice and morphed it and changed it as they went th through history. And uh, sometimes you think about drag kings as being a female performer who wears male clothing and performs as male, but I think uh, the way we look at it now is much more um, plural and the kind of drag kings that I'm most interested in is like what would it be like to be an andro king <laughs> so an androgynous king or I think it can be any body or any identity performing masculinity or unpicking masculinity so you could be a drag king even though mm. you maybe I'm guessing you define mm. as male you can still drag up as a drag king um, because it's about performing a heightened sense, a heightened of, sense yeah. of masculinity so you have um, yeah, drag kings that may define as female but also may not exploring what it is, what is this masculinity, what does it do and it might be that drag kings are sexy and funny and political uh, but also they might have a bit of a punch to them as well. And you and Lucy actually ran a drag king workshop for the Young Victorian yes. Department yeah, yeah, on yeah, we did. Women's Women's Day, yeah. I think it was. How was that, working with a group of um, non-professional, just um, people from the local area? Yeah, brilliant, totally brilliant. I'm doing another one um, at the Bush Theatre tomorrow with local community members. And I think the best thing about it is that we don't dictate and can't dictate the kind of men or the kind of masculinity that these people want to explore. So we leave it completely open. And so you, most people will um, be, um, like, 
a, take a version of masculinity that they know or that they, that is in their world. And so depending on who you have in the room, suddenly you have all these amazing men in the room of different ages, uh, of different ethnicities, of different lifestyles. And it is genuinely breathtaking and empowering and exciting when you then start writing for these men and what do they have to say and uh, you know there was an elderly woman who took part in the workshop and her man um, when her drag character was talking about all the opportunities that he had as a young man and it made complete sense that she would be that her drag character would say that and similarly you know, we've done this in these kind of workshops in um, women's groups or domestic violence groups, and it is absolutely incredible the power that it has to embody a gender that is not yours and to see what comes out. And that is what I mean when I link this to a, a politics beyond... Uh, you know, left or right or, or beyond just queer politics because these languages and these thoughts are hugely powerful and, yeah, the dragging workshops sort of explore that more but as does this kind of work, I just think the, like, the potential of it is huge. <laughs> And Lucy, we've been chatting for a while now. We've said the word queer about five million oh, yeah. times. Uh, and we've not yet spoken about you being the Genesis Future Director. Oh, Portland. yeah. So congratulations. <laughs> um, and the plays that you uh, have directed at mm -hmm. The Young Vic are two short Chekhov plays, The Bear and The Proposal. Yeah. Why did you choose to go for them? Well, uh, when I applied for the award, I could pick from three plays. And I wanted to do Chekhov mm. because... Why not? Like, why why not uh, take Chekhov and queer those plays? And actually, Chekhov was an innovator and he aimed to instigate social change. And at the time when the plays were written, there was a national dialogue about what is a woman. They called it the question of femininity, the question of women. And uh, that is very much embedded within the plays. And actually, now we are having a national dialogue, maybe a global dialogue around... Uh, identity still <laughs> women uh, um, but also about trans identity and non-binary identity and actually those discussions that were had in 1888 are very much still part of our culture I would argue and so when I read these plays um, they just really connected with me because they talk about uh, what an astonishing woman, what is this, what kind of woman is this? You don't know how to behave in female company and say, I most certainly do know how to behave in female company. The whole, all of the plays are completely uh, like rich with the questions that I think about in my life every day mm. <laughs> um, when I wake up yeah, in, in the morning. And had you ever seen The Bear or The Proposal performed before? No, I didn't read them before. <laughs> so I guess that's great that you've kind of got a blank canvas there, that yeah. you're not kind of polluted by other yeah. previous um, productions. And what about people that have, uh, that, you know, look at the Young Vic's brochure, mm -hmm. go on the Young Vic's website and go, oh, look, The Bear and The Proposal, two classic Chekhov's, I'm going to buy my tickets for that, and they come and see this queered up uh, production. Does that excite you that you've got a potential new audience there? Yeah, I mean, The Young Vic is pretty rad so I think most people that come will expect a, a certain level of me uh, messing with it but actually I think the more um, exciting thing is when you take Chekhov and you don't 
queer it in a straightforward way. So actually there's something more exciting about doing Chekhov with a queer company, a gender fierce company, and being like, you want us to set this in a cabaret. You want us to set this in a cabaret because you're really happy to see queer performers within cabarets. We love queer performers in cabarets, don't we? And uh, actually there's something more exciting being like, no, we're not going to put this in a cabaret. We are going to play Chekhov in inverted commas straight. And that's what we're doing. And that is the that is more radical than mm. the querying that happens later in the show, mm. which is where we do merge it with cabaret forms. Um, but the and I love I love that that part of the show. But actually, one of the most challenging parts and the most um, yeah, in some ways, radical choice is to resist that and not to do that so easily. I was lucky enough to sneak into your dress rehearsal when you <laughs> spotted me, uh, and I hope I'm not giving the game away too mm. much, but what was so fantastic was this kind of, like a snake shedding its skin <laughs> from the first Chekhov to the second Chekhov, yeah. this kind of, to use your words, glorious mess, these bits mm. just thrown all over the place um, and just left there as we move on mm -hmm. to the kind of more fierce, I suppose, uh, yeah. second um, piece. It was that, that was deliberate as well, was it then? Yeah, kind of yeah. on stage. Well, I think I'd had the pieces very carefully planned out in terms of four movements and the first movement is about constraint and actually we hold everything close and we play check off maybe for its subtext and even though it is a farce we we really um play it in a way where we hold our cards kind of close to us and then movement two was called the queer leaks out and so <laughs> this uh this frame that we've set up just begins to crack slightly and you can't really work out why but it begins to crack and then um that's i guess where it, you know it, the costumes are shed and then movement three was about plurality and i think uh, within that, it is about exploring a pluralised version of gender and plural in terms of the uh, the design. So, yeah, and actually we see where we've come. We're not trying to hide anything. I think part of querying is about letting us see the constructs that make something uh, rather than just seeing it for what it, what it is. So um, it was important that we have seen where we've come from. So we see remnants of the other plays in the the last play and then movement four was about freedom which is kind of just like um a call to arms and a celebration because to me perhaps i'm reading this too deeply or, or not deeply enough <laughs> um that uh it was a bit like your origins as an individual that this kind of more laced up childhood <laughs> that someone might have and then just releasing yourself later on in life to to just be yourself that's what i kind of got from it and interesting <laughs> what you say about that plurality because there's there's uh, character swapping in, this, in mm -hmm. the second play uh, with all three of your fantastic cast just sort of swapping amongst themselves who, mm -hmm. who they are. Was that to make a wider point about the plurality and fluidity about gender and identity? Yeah, completely. I think that um, if you take the idea of femininity and masculinity, you can place that on any body or any form. Um, and that's something that I experience day to day and fundamentally as a non-binary or trans person um yeah it's i sort of embody and understand that and i think i was trying to explore that in a way that is really fun because quite often these things can get you down or bog you down and 
you can't see a way out of them. Whereas this is like, how do we take this check off, but actually make it into something that is much more celebratory and much more fun. And so you have the character of Smirnoff now. Uh, Smirnoff could be played uh, as the kind of height of toxic masculinity. Um, And he's laddie and he's aggressive. And um, when Kamari plays him, he's pretty cheeky. (laughs) Um, And then the same character is played by Bex. And actually you're seeing a female form a woman play this man and you know that she's playing a male character but you also know that it is Bex underneath that character and then when George plays Smirnoff again you see that actually okay I'm reading a male character and a male person but they are in a beautiful shape uh, like a leotard and heels and so you have to hold all of these things in your mind at once you have to hold the the character and the body that you see in front of you and the more we can make that troublesome Mm. we should make that a problem Mm. for you in the best way that you your assumptions or thoughts begin to not become a problem anymore Mm. like you don't actually you're following a story and the cast keeps switching but you follow the characters and and somehow through um through making it more fun we actually find something more real i find and you mentioned your cast there um bex george and kamari mm. who are fantastic performers but yeah. also really diverse in their three individual identities mm-hmm. how important was it for you as as a queer director to really have such a diverse group of actors mm-hmm. at your disposal completely and they needed to be the absolute top of the game and that's why we did a big um, open call uh, they came through different ways so George actually came through a recommendation on Twitter someone like um, hooked us up on Twitter um, Rebecca came through maybe more traditional casting at the Young Vic um, and Kamari came through an open call that we did which was a will you marry me which linked to the proposal yeah. big open call that we put in all sorts of spaces and we saw um, about 45 performers for that, who all came here and auditioned and were seen, all queer. and all self-defined as queer, they? yeah, LGBTQ, okay. um, and yeah, people say that there aren't, you know, queer casts around, or you know, we would ca- cast in the queer if only we knew people. And actually, it's like no, there are loads of absolutely amazing performers out there, but these guys, they had to be top of the game in terms of their acting, but also maybe their skill in cabaret or how they thought about the world or you know they they come from really different places but they are really mischievous <laughs> collaborators because they are nuanced um in gender and uh what it you know those kind of languages and also they're just brilliant actors and collaborators you mentioned mischievous which i think is a key word here how important (laughs) is mischief in queer theater very important (laughs) because it has to be fun that's what Mm. i mean like even in this uh podcast now you know you can get quite bogged down in this Mm. like it's very intellectual yeah yeah yeah, it it is intellectual but then also part of it is just about how you feel and how Mm. you experience the world and what t-shirt you choose (laughs) to wear like i think you um you can get really sort of caught up in it and actually mischief is incredibly important queerness is queering something is fun mm. and it's cheeky and mm. it's silly and it's um 
surprising and you should take an idea and then turn it on its head and so what you're seeing is not what you expected for it. so um in some ways you can do it kind of backwards so some ways queering something is about putting classical music under it so we take uh, this very queered images or these ca- uh, these cabaret images and we're queering cabaret because we're actually using very beautiful music from 1888 Russian music uh, Rimsky is the, the composer and underscoring our queer show with that and so we you know if, I'm just going to give it away anyway <laughs> now if we bring in uh, our glitter curtains to beautiful classical music actually you're looking at these really you know cheap curtains that look you know but actually you you elevate them with this beautiful music and so I think every image that you see you can undercut and whether you need to undercut that with uh, a pop song or maybe you need to undercut that with classical or something that you think of as more held back and so whatever image you put you can twist it or Crack it. It's kind of serious about the frivolous and frivolous about the yes. serious, isn't it? Yes, it's just yes, like yes. This, as, as you said, this glorious, glittery, sticky <laughs> mess yeah. of, of queerness on, on stage. Do you think it's possible then to make any classic text a queer piece of theatre? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I think you have to maybe think, why? <laughs> <laughs> Rather than just, you know, there's a tendency that's like, okay, we're going to queer something, we're going to make one of the male characters female. And that's great. And obviously with... So many plays that are so male heavy, that's a really um, good choice and exciting choice. But actually, for my politics, if you're, you're going to quiz something, you need to really think about why you are doing it and what um, these plays, uh, the Chekhov plays, are inherently about gender and they lend themselves so beautifully to being played with and actually every single choice that I make and um, every single decision that the cast and I thought about and my creative team thought about is all rooted in what is already in the place so they lent themselves very um, well to, to to being queered in that way but I think I think any p- play can be and indeed should be because otherwise we'll just see the same um, people on stage Mm. all of the time. And partly why I started making work is because when you go to the theatre, you're like, where am I? I'm not there. And it's not that you want to make work that is only for people like you, but like there there is a a lack of diversity in terms of um, able-bodied or non-able-bodied, disabled-led artists or um, whether it's in terms of ethnicity or gender our stages are like not reflective at all of our streets and um, I think that theatre needs to up its game with that pretty urgently and whether that is um, but I think they should do that (laughs) not just by querying something because they think, okay, right, this is the thing to do now, we're going to queer everything. It's like, why? Why are you choosing to do that? What um, What do you... What are you questioning? What are you problematising? What are you um, poking at with your choices to 
either change the gender or pluralize the gender of these characters and um and and who are you talking to with this and really kind of think about it and but yeah com completely i think it's definitely the way to go and more theaters need to not get so worried about it like it doesn't need to be a selling point or a thing it's just like crack on <laughs> a couple of podcasts ago i spoke yeah. to the director roy alexander wise who directed oh, yeah. the mountain top yeah, yeah, yeah. and i oh, asked great show. it was and i asked him whether or not he felt that a black director had to direct that uh, play about black issues and black identity and i suppose a different way of phrasing that for you lucy is do you think it's almost the duty of a queer director or a queer theatre maker to tell queer stories or to cast queer people? Is it possible for you to do a more kind of, in inverted commas, straight down the line play? Or is that kind of a betrayal of, of your identity? Do you see what I mean? Uh, yeah, I could do that. I could definitely do that. But that's everywhere. And like, I just don't... Th I think that the most exciting collaborators are people who experience the world in a slightly more plural way or um like I could absolutely do that but I think that that's not how I experience the world so I would maybe find that hard <laughs> to do um but that's what I was sort of saying about the choice of using a queer company but to play it in vote commas straight is something that I'm really interested in um, and I think that the choices of having yeah cisgendered men on stage you know you just need to turn on the telly or go mm -hmm. to the cinema or go to or your local theatre or look yeah. on the news yeah. or you know you can you get that so you know other people can <laughs> do that <laughs> and what next for you then, Lucy, after The Bear and The Proposal? What, what products have you got coming up? Uh, so we've got a couple. So one is Joan that we talk, mm. spoke about is doing a two-week run at Oval House from the 11th to the 22nd of April. So we're on there. Um, and I'm writing a new place. So I've written the draft, what draft one already, uh, which is called Bullish, uh, which is the Minotaur myth, kind of. <laughs> um, and... Uh, yes, I'm writing that, and we're making that in Derby, and then that will run at Camden People's Theatre for three weeks, uh, supported by the um, Jewwood Home Run Commission that will be there uh, three weeks in September. Um, and then I'm making a photography exhibition, so uh, the idea is that we will make an exhibition that will be on with the show, um, with Bullish at Camden People's Theatre, and then when we tour the show, the exhibition will go with it. So wherever we go... We will. You can access either the piece of theatre, or you can just walk to whatever venue we're in, and you will see um, uh, an exhibition or photography exhibition that links to the show in some way. And then I'm making three mini, mini films <laughs> that will also link to the show. So if you don't happen to be in the area and you haven't seen the exhibition and you haven't seen the show and you don't really want to come to the theatre, you might still stumble across or log on to. Um, a little film that happens. So actually the ideas that underpin the play are um, also in other forms for people to tap into. Um, and so, yeah, we're doing that in September and then we'll tour that show. And I think we're, we're also touring Joan as well. 
So we'll just be... So you're very busy. Yeah. Well, we wish you all the very best with all of those projects and The Bear and the Proposal is really fantastic. And thank thank you you. for queering up this podcast. No, well, thank you for having me and thanks to Liam Vick as well for just being like absolutely mega through the whole process. I'm going to miss it. We'll come back. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Off Book by The Young Vic. If you'd like to hear more conversations with some of the most exciting people in theatre, subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Mm.